Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 7, begins this way. And Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whoever you, or whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. You know, one of the things that is always a challenge in terms of understanding the Old Testament and the New Testament relative to where we are is just understanding the context. Obviously, the significance here, and if you go to the parallel passages in Matthew 10 and Luke chapter 9, you'll discover that there's a whole lot more detail given to these instructions that Mark puts very little time into. Uh, In fact, Matthew chapter 10 has a whole narrative that describes all the ins and outs and adds all kinds of discipleship pieces to it, but Mark keeps it really simple. And so we're going to try to keep it that way as we kind of march through here a little bit as we um, understand the nature of what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing as the servant who God has sent is that he's trying to reach out to the lost house of Israel. Uh, They have developed their own sense of rules and religion and and regulations. Their lives have been fairly ordered by their occupations and their trades. Life seems to be all fitting together quite nicely until this person named Jesus comes along and starts calling them to repent, which for many of them, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, were deeply disturbed by because they thought they had it all figured out. We've got our routines, our schedules, we've got our life, we're organized, our trades and occupations are going fine. They have the normal upheavals and problems that many families have, but we thought we had this in rhythm. Pharisees and the scribes talk about the law and our obedience and the morality that they're supposed to have. There's certain rules that govern their community in terms of divine imprint. And so when this Jesus comes along, it must have been fairly disturbing when he comes along preaching this gospel of the kingdom, calling people to repent, that they have to change their mind about where they're living. And so when he gets to this point where he sends out the disciples, he is really multiplying his mission. He's not just doing it himself. But I want you to notice as he begins this journey, there's some simple things that he begins to do right at the front end. The first one is that he calls them to himself, and then he's going to send them out. If I put a title to this, you may have seen it at the front end, I'm just calling it sent. And the reason for that is that if you drop back into a previous text, into Mark chapter 3, you will discover that Jesus has, in a sense, already called them. And the language there is important. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to himself those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he will also name apostles, so that they might be with him, he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons." He was extending his reach. In fact, he specifically tells them not to go to the cities of the Gentiles, but to go specifically to the lost house of Israel. So he's on a mission to rescue God's own people. They might think that everything's fine, but they're not. And God, Jesus is going to come and expose the problems with what's become status quo in their own culture and especially in their own hearts. 
And so he sends them out with the gospel of the kingdom, preaching repentance and drawing attention back to himself. And as he does that, we need to remind ourselves that in some respects, while the message in some respect is built around Messiah in terms of the Old Testament and the prophecies there, we still have a gospel that we have been entrusted to to proclaim to a lost world. The thing really hasn't changed much. When we read through Romans and went through that, we discovered that their rejection of Jesus opens the door for the Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, to come into family of God through the preaching of the gospel, which, of course, is now defined by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, that all those who recognize that they're sinners before a holy God and they will surrender to God by acknowledging their sin and asking God to forgive them, Christ will cleanse them of their sin, God will remove them from his judgment, give them the righteousness of Christ so they have a right standing before God, even though we sometimes don't feel like much has changed in our life, that we are right, not because of us or our performance, but because of Christ, and that he has adopted us into the family of God. And that's, a, that's a, a permanent adoption. God has no reason to change that, even though at times we think he might have good reason to. And, and so as he sends them out, we discover that they are called to preach this message. And they go off in twos. And I, I want to remind you that when Jesus did this, he first and foremost called people to himself. He wanted them, in Mark chapter 3, he called them to himself because he wanted them to be with him. And at the heart of what we are dealing with is we have to constantly remind ourselves that we're not promoting another religion, we are promoting relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the heart of this, we've got to make sure that when we are on mission and we're communicating that, we're not trying to adopt another religion. I think sometimes I've been convinced in my own life and what I've seen from others that we sometimes treat the gospel like we're peddling another self-help tool because there's lots of them out there and sometimes we're not sure whether this will bring the sign of self-improvement process that some of the other programs that are out there. If you have that in your mind in terms of what we're trying to do, you will constantly fail unless you're a brilliant salesperson. Because we're not just peddling another religion, we're not just peddling another aspect of religious religiosity, We're promoting Christ. We are promoting the only hope that humanity has. And there's no denomination, no religion, no church group that can say they can solve the problem of humanity by becoming part of their church. It's only when we become part of relationship with Christ that our problems get solved. I'm, I'm tempted at this point to run us through Colossians and all kinds of Uh, of different things because people have a notorious habit even back then to create a whole bunch of religion, rules and regulations on personal convictions that we sort of impose on other people to say if you do these then you'll be a good Christian or you'll be a good participant in the community. Now clearly the scriptures have a moral framework to it that's deeper and wider than anything that we can keep up to. But the issue is not about a particular church, it's not about a particular denomination, it's not whether it's the Essenes or it's the scribes or the Pharisees, it's about Jesus Christ alone. And and I have to keep reminding myself that when we talk to people that the heartbeat of this is people need to know Christ because that's what Christ did. He was calling them to himself so that they might be with him and that he would then send them out. 
I also need to remind myself, as one, as many of you would, being a Christian for many, many years, that going out makes little sense if we're not in right relationship with Jesus. If we don't have this level of intimacy, this sense of closeness to realize that we represent him, then going out's gonna be a performance. We're gonna try to impress people with our sales pitches. We're going to do everything that Christ does not want us to do, and we'll see how it fleshes out here. That when Jesus sends them out, he first and foremost wants them to be in right relationship with him. And so he doesn't just send a memo to them and saying, all right, now's the time to go. He calls them back to himself. And if you go through Matthew and Luke, you'll see he gives them all kinds of detailed instructions, some of which are here. And he says, all right, now that you understand my heartbeat, understand who I am and what I offer to the world, now I want you to go out and I want you to go out in twos to support one another, but I want you to be on mission. Jesus was not trying to create a community that would isolate themselves from the world. He was not trying to cultivate a separatist group to isolate themselves from the bad stuff that surrounded them. Jesus was not offering a spiritual self-help program. He was calling these men to believe so deeply in who Jesus was and be so convinced that he is the only solution that the only compelling response to that is to be out in the world communicating that Jesus to others. We don't offer an alternative. We offer the only solution God's provided. And unless you become convinced of that reality, you're always gonna question whether our product is, is gonna be as good as someone else's. And I want to, I, I, I think every day we need to get up and we gotta need to spend time before the throne of grace saying, Jesus, I know that you are the only answer. You are the only way, you're the only truth, you're the only person that can write our relationship with God. And until we sear that deep into our heart and mind and realize we're not just peddling alternatives to a, a myriad of alternatives out there, we're going to struggle with the commitment to being in the world. Let me just remind you of a few passages that I think remind us of that. Matthew chapter five, Jesus told them that you are to do your good works in such a way that people see them and glorify God. They're not to live in a closet. They're not to be hide and seek as if they're, they're just off on their own. Jesus wanted them to live in such a way that others would see their works. So I'm not a big fan of anonymous, random acts of kindness that nobody knows who did it. Jesus wanted us to live our life genuinely enough with, with what I will call generosity and good works so that they look at us and go, wait a minute, I know that person serves Jesus there's a reason for why they're doing it. Matthew 28, of course, said, go and make disciples of all ethnic groups. Romans chapter one, your faith has spread throughout the whole world. These people were not trying to just mind their own business and be in a corner. They were individuals who knew that their faith was built around the person who was the only answer to a lost and desperate world. Second Corinthians chapter two, we are to be the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15, the statement basically says that the love of Christ compels us. I mean, the, the, the greatest, one of the greatest arguments in the scriptures about being sent, about being in the world and communicating Jesus, isn't out of duty, it isn't just out of obligation, it's that the love of Christ compels us. And if the love of Christ doesn't compel us, then there's a disconnect between our heart and his heart. 
because we don't see people the way he does. People aren't basic, people have inestimable value, but we're not good, and we're certainly not good enough to be right with God on our own. I keep saying it, and I keep saying it to myself. We're, no one's gonna get to heaven and hand God a resume of all the good things they've done and say, is this gonna be good enough? Because he's gonna say, sayonara. It's whether you know Jesus. 1 John 5, verse 11. I'm writing this to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. God has given us this eternal life in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. It's built into the person of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, God is reconciling the world through us. Verse 20, we are his ambassadors. We represent Jesus in the world. Philippians chapter two, we have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus did, that he surrendered all his rights and freedoms and privileges to dwell in this mode of existence with the Godhead, and he took this form of a servant and lived out the the mission of the gospel in a broken world and then sacrificed his own life on a cross so that we might have the opportunity that he would open the door for us to step into relationship with God. And the point is simply that Jesus did not call us to himself to sit around a campfire and eat fish. He called us in the same way that he did the disciples so that he might send them out. Regardless of the struggle that we have in our own heart, the the fears and anxiety about what other people think, the the terror that we might fail, or even to the point where people say, well, I don't want to share anything because if I mess it up, then I'm responsible for sending them to hell. Kind of like, there's some dysfunctional theology. That's that's horrible. The people have convinced themselves that that's what they've done because they don't do it right. That's horrible theology. They clearly don't understand the nature of it. And so Jesus simply says to these men, I want you to go, but you're not going on your own. You're not out there to prove your own abilities or skills or talents or communication. He gave them authority to do three things. He gave them authority to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He gave them authority to cast out demons, and he gave them authority to heal people. And it's important to know they didn't go on their own authority. And and I think the the best way for me to understand this is, hey, they're not out there trying to do a massive great thing for God and impress Jesus or other people. The only authority they have to, to do this is because Jesus gave it to them. He's saying, listen, if you really know me and you're willing to follow and trust me, I'm giving you the right, the responsibility to go out and share my name with others. That's the only reason they would have either the interest or the authority to do it. But he also gave them the authority to cast out demons and heal people. And the question sometimes is, why? Well, for me, it seems pretty obvious. This is exactly what Jesus was doing. He was going around healing people and casting out demons. That kind of the broad categories. So if he's going to send out messengers, he's going to empower them to do the same kind of thing so people don't get confused. They're not going to go out there and start preaching this message of the kingdom, and there are people are gonna go, all right, they, they're doing this a little different. Are they with Jesus, or this is, is this a different group? Are, are they on the same page, or I don't know if I've got 12 or six new groups coming and rising out of this, because you know what people will do. Something will happen, and a movement will start, and everyone wants to jump on board, but they all wanna tweak it so that they can start their own little movement. 
And, and as they do this, they're doing exactly what Jesus did to build continuity in people's minds. This is, we're preaching the same Jesus that you saw do those miracles. We're casting out demons in the same way Jesus did, so you know we represent the same Jesus. We're healing people like Jesus did because we're just doing exactly what he did, and the only reason we can do it is because he gave us the authority. It's all built together so that they would know that this comes from the same Jesus. But they're not doing it based on their own giftedness, their own talents, abilities, their own insight and wisdom. They're not doing it because of their education. They didn't give Jesus a resume. He said, you're a fisherman, come with me. You're a tax gatherer, come with me. You and I would dismiss half these people as being totally unqualified because some of them are knuckleheads. Some of them are skeptics. Some of them are fishermen. Nothing wrong with fishing, but. And so they are going out on his authority to do that. And he's given them very specific authority. It's to do only these things. You know what happens in, in Christendom is that people get a position of authority and then they think they can do all kinds of things that the authority wasn't given for. That's where you start getting abuses and people starting to manipulate and use the system to build their own little kingdoms rather than the kingdom of Jesus. He gave them very specific authority to do three specific things, and that's it. He didn't say, go build your own kingdom. This is what I'm empowering you to do, stick to the plan. And we always get in trouble when we think our authority in Jesus allows us to build our own little kingdom and do things other than what he called us to do. And so Jesus charges these with the commitment but it's important to notice that how they carry this out is just as important as that they carry it out. It's, this is an interesting instruction where Jesus comes to them and he says, here's, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to take food or clothing or lunch. I'm going to force you to be dependent on me. And when you go somewhere, you've got to be received by people who consider you and the message that I'm sending you with worthy, and they will look after your needs. So he's putting a forced dependence upon them where they have to trust him with something that makes them vulnerable. By the way, we'll never carry out the mission of Jesus and the mission of the gospel without feeling vulnerable. We don't, the, the danger for all of us is we start thinking more of ourselves than we should. We think we're capable, we can do it our way. We start comparing our success compared to others and it's kind of like, what's wrong with people? And Jesus simply is saying, listen, how you do this is just as important as that you are doing it. And one of the things that we have to continue to remind ourselves is that the end does not justify the means. The way we do the mission of the gospel is, is as important as that we do the mission of the gospel. And Jesus says, there's some things I just don't want you to do it. I don't want you to do these things in doing this mission. And we're, we don't have to translate all those little specific details because they were going to the lost house of Israel. But the, the, the point simply is, is that there's certain things that we shouldn't be doing in terms of the gospel when we carry that mission out. We're not salespeople, we're not trying to manipulate them, we're not trying to argue them into the, we're not trying to put pressure tactics on them. Some people are really gay. I know, you know, if you learn all the sales pitches, you can pull all that together. And Jesus wants them to simply proclaim the gospel. 
I was reading a story, I may have shared it before, about a woman who was told that if she gives her dog castrol oil, that it would improve the teeth and the health of the dog. The coat would get all shiny and all this kind of stuff. So she decided she was going to do this, and so she bought this big castrol oil, and she, every day she would get a big tablespoonful of this thing and then go and, actually she'd go and tackle the dog, and then she'd try to cram this castor oil down its throat, and it was like a fight to no end. The dog was fighting and flailing around and choking, trying to bite her, and she's trying to cram this castor oil down. And this went on for several days, and uh, she finally took the bottle out. It was sitting on the ground. She was having this fight, and the dog happened to swat the castor oil and spill it all over the place. And so she ran in to get a towel, came back to find the dog licking up the castor oil. I guess the way she was doing it wasn't quite the way he was receiving it. But there, there are a lot of Christians who do that too. They love to corner people and jam the gospel down their throat or to, to manipulate them into forcing it down their throat when all that they really need is to hear the love and the grace and the power of the presence of Jesus. And they need to see it in a person's life. We don't have to save people. That's Jesus' job. But what he says, if he's, gonna, if he's sending us into the world, he says, I want you to represent me and I want you to communicate to me, people, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loves you so much that he sacrificed his only son so that if you understand that no matter what resume you hand in front of God, it will never be good enough. That all you have to do is, is believe in him and put faith in Christ Surrender your life to him and then begin this journey where he adopts you into the family and now I'm going to walk with Jesus and he's going to teach me how I ought to live. The way we do things is as important as that we do things, especially when it comes to the gospel. But he also said in, Mark, in verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. And if there's a place that will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. The simple message is, if you got people that reject you, don't waste, in a sense, if I can put it, don't waste any more time there. If they won't receive you, they won't welcome the message, move on. Now the shaking off of the dust of their feet is really something you see in several different places. Acts chapter 13, Nehemiah chapter five, Acts chapter 18. Hey, Acts chapter 18 is interesting because when Paul, Silas and Timothy arrived in Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the word and uh, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, and they, were, and they opposed him and reviled him. And so Paul shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent, from now on I'll go to the Gentiles. In other words, the, it was an act to say, all right, you've made your decision, you're responsible for it. Don't go around blaming everybody else for your decision. I mean, that's kind of the world we live in is that people have mastered the ability to blame everybody, everything else, let's blame the church, let's blame religion, let's blame hypocrisy, let's blame the, the dumb Christian that I ran into who's trying to force the castrol-oiled gospel down my throat. But when a, a person rejects the gospel, their blood is on their own head. They stand before God on their own. We don't have to force them to try to make a decision. And at the heart of this, is individuals who are willing to love. And Jesus says, listen, if they don't want you, move on. But what's important, I think, in terms of this is that the mission, the priority was to preach the gospel. 
The method was to practice good works. There were two good works. They were to try to help deliver people from evil things, in this case, evil, unclean spirits. And the second was to meet physical needs. They were to bring healing. Now, whether you believe that you have gifts and that kind of thing to do that kind of stuff, the common denominator that I see is that when people are confronted with the person of Jesus, he is helping deliver them from the power of Satan. But you and I both know that once a person comes to Christ, doesn't make them so squeaky clean, they act in perfectly in line with who Jesus is. They still have some junk to go. And part of our ministry is about helping people be delivered from the clutter and the junk and the flesh in their life so that they are conformed to the image of Jesus. And meeting their needs is what we can do. Sometimes we can't just heal a person, but we can pray that God would bring healing, and sometimes that happens, and God chooses to heal people. Other people, he does not, and they're in this journey learning dependence upon God in a posture of vulnerability that will ultimately glorify him. So what do we need to do? Well, I wanna give you an illustration this morning of how this works. And so, Victoria, I'm gonna ask you to come up. Um, I'm convinced that God, if you claim to be a believer and he's called you to himself, that he has already, as it were, sent you into the world. What does it take? Do you have to have a certain education? Do you have to have a certain degree? I don't think so. And they, I had lunch with the Murray and Victoria this week. I was so jazzed by their story that I said, you gotta share this. So I'm gonna have her share. The team has some PowerPoints that they'll show as she t- discusses this, but I just want you to hear, this is what it means to be sent as we live out in the world. So Victoria, go ahead and tell us her story. Good morning, everybody. Murray would be here with me, but he's out fishing for that wild walleye today, so he's not here. I'll, I'll make up a little um, closer. So Murray and I went down to Cancun with dear friends of ours in January. And uh, we set up every day at a quiet space that was away from the crowd. And we set into a routine where we would have breakfast. We did devotions together every day. And then we would just go chill out at the pool pool and stare at the water. Um, It was absolutely wonderful. But little did we know how God was going to use this. Another younger couple joined our area midweek, and we introduced ourselves, and they, their names were Allie and Devin. They're from Vancouver, and we just sat up and had a nice conversation with them. But Allie asked our friend Jolene about the book she was reading, and the book is called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, which is a really good overview about what the Bible is and who Jesus is. Jolene was reading it, rereading it in anticipation of sharing it with her new pickleball friends. So the four of us sat around in our lounge chairs and Devin and Allie shared a bit about um, themselves. We talked about our friendship, we talked about what the Bible is to us and what Jesus means to us and how we did devotions together and prayed together. And Devin and Allie were really very curious. They were a very open and curious couple um, and they shared some of their personal stuff, including his very serious medical conditions. Uh, Mark said he would like to share the story of the Bible with them and to share Jesus with them. And would they be interested in hearing that? 
Well, they needed a little time to process that, and they said they would get back to us. So for the next two days, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed that the Holy Spirit would move and help Devin and Allie see the answer they were seeking. For it was clear that they were hurting a bit, and they were hungry for peace and hope. Finally, they returned to us, and they, they asked us to share the story about who Jesus was. So as the rest of us prayed, Mark shared the gospel in a very clear and simple way to Allie and Devin. And these people had never even been in a church. And I remembered the words that Pastor Brad gave us in the story of the different soils. I remembered him saying, may these seeds be planted in fertile soil, grow, bring fruit, and give life. I prayed this over and over again as Mark shared. When he was finished, Allie and Devin said they needed time to process. And my husband Murray asked Devin, is your heart melting? It looks like your heart is melting. And Devin said, yes. After conferring for a little while, Allie and Devin agreed that they believed the gospel to be true and they wanted to pray to receive Jesus into their hearts. Yay! <laughs> so in Mexico, on vacation, a, a divine appointment brought Allie and Devin into our lives and into the kingdom forever. To God be the glory for all of this. The next morning, before Murray, Mark, Jolene, and myself got on a plane, we baptized Allie and Devin in the resort pool. <laughs> Woo! That's right. It was a thrill for all of us. Since then, Allie and Devin have gotten in a Bible to read. They've connected to a church where they've been warmly welcomed. And the six of us are texting regularly. And it's just so exciting to share their joy and encourage their new faith. And here's a few of their texts. This is from Devin about going to church. It was definitely a wonderful experience. I have a little more understanding of what church can be. I think it can be helpful to be around other people that feel Jesus too, as well as being informative and helping me understand what I feel. And this is Allie. At first I thought our meeting was a, was a coincidence, but now I see it was part of God's plan. Mark's words resonate with me all the time. So many thanks and blessings to you all. And finally, another one from Allie. I was realizing that I worry a lot about the people around me and the ones I care about. But instead of worrying, I can convert it to prayer and have it serve me and the people I care about more than, <coughs> excuse me, more than worry could ever serve. So we will be setting up a Zoom meeting soon with them, and we will continue to disciple these good people and praise our God for the goodness and his love. I am just so humbled and amazed that God chooses to trust us with sharing his son Jesus to a hurting world. Thank you. Thanks. All right. It's that simple. Unless you're just so busy doing our own thing that we just ignore the people around us. 
I believe Jesus, if you've trusted Christ, says, I'm sending you into the world. Go make a difference. Are you ready for that? Do you have at least one individual? It was over a month ago that we handed out our $100 challenge to say, go and build a relationship with somebody. Even if it's just one person who is God placed in your life. The fact that he sends us means he's not sending them to us so much as he's sending us to them. You have to be compelled by the love of Christ in such a way that you're willing to take a step towards people that you don't know to cultivate some kind of connection and conversation so that God can open the door for you to share Christ. It'd be great if it was this easy all the time. But the question is, do we trust ourselves or do we trust Jesus? If he's sending us into the world, can you trust him that he'll use you? Let's pray. Father, thank you that in many ways that you are far more committed to your gospel than we ever will be. All you want us to do is just what the disciples did. He didn't ask them how they felt about it or whether he had to coach them through it. The simple reality is he sent them out and he gave them instructions and they just went and did it. And I pray, Father, that you will put something in our heart and maybe even change our heart this morning so that we will be people that understand that you've called us to yourself for the very purpose of being to be sent. Father, we don't want to do anything apart from your leading. And I pray that every day will be an open door and an opportunity for us to move alongside somebody who is struggling with the purpose of life and life in general, that we can communicate the hope of the gospel. Father, it would be astounding and exhilarating for you to fill this building with people who come to Christ this year. Help us to understand that you've called us for a purpose. Help us to trust you enough to fulfill the mission with the people that you give to us. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.